Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen. And I'm fucking useless this week. And you're Katie. Wait, what? I mean, you're not fucking useless. You're Katie. Uh-huh. So make yourself useful and read us the rolling rehash. All right, I will. Last week, we discussed Chapter 12, The Patronus, and its corresponding film scenes. Ron was furious with Hermione for looking a gift horse in the mouth. Oliver Wood was far too confident in his fanatical powers of persuasion. Hagrid delivered some magical creatures to care for, while Professor Trelawney had her hands full in divination. If his lighting scheme is anything to go by, Lupin was definitely not spineless. Harry had issues thinking happy thoughts, much to Peter Pan's dismay. McGonagall finally finished checking the firebolt with a fine-tooth comb. And just in case we haven't said it enough, Dementors shouldn't fly. During episode 51, Happy Memory Orchard, we had two Potter ponderings. Our first one was why do you think they changed Harry's happy memory from the book to the movie? Juliana said that his movie memory is fine for her. It's kind of like when Sirius says his innocence wasn't a happy or sad memory. Those kind of memories can't be altered easily by Dementors. Quincy said it's because they didn't care about the source material, that's why. (laughs) Carly simply said, more feels. (laughs) Jackson thinks the movie one was good. It was really sweet. But he does think that the book one was better, so he honestly doesn't get why they changed it. Emma said that she didn't mind the change, really. And our second one was, what memory would you choose to concentrate on while casting a Patronus? Juliana said that her happy memory might change more frequently because it would all be based around her kids. Her 21-month-old daughter loves to sing head, shoulders, knees, and toes with her big brother, which causes all sorts of giggles and laughter. Carly said it would be her wedding day, a random memory from when she was little, or the day she met her husband. Quincy said his happy memory has to be the day he signed his record contract, last Friday. Which is so awesome. Congratulations, Quincy. Right? Yay. Jackson says his memory would be the day he met his best friend. Emma said that hers would be when she met her husband, especially their first kiss. She knew right then she'd marry him and said that shit is definitely powerful enough for a Patronus. Aw, yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing your happy memories with us. Our trivia question last week was, How many galleons does Percy bet Penelope Clearwater on the outcome of the match? Percy tells everyone that he bet his girlfriend ten galleons on the outcome of the match. Then, of course, leans into Harry to confide that they better win because he hasn't got ten galleons. And lucky for Percy, Gryffindor did win that Quidditch match. And speaking of winning, congratulations goes to Max Nash, who has officially tied Quincy for the record at eight weeks straight. Woohoo! Robert commented with P. Sherman, 42, Wallaby Way, Sydney. Hashtag come at me. Hashtag not in it for stuff. Hashtag I love this group. So we just wanted to say back that we love you too, Robert. We do. (laughs) 
Quincy went a little power mad and tried to take 10 points away from Slytherin for Roberts being a class clown, but I told him that even though he's a just keep rolling editor now, he needs to use his power for good and just continue posting kick-ass memes. He has been killing it with the memes lately. Seriously. Carly's had some great ones, too. We genuinely have the best keepers. Yeah, we love you all. You're great. You really are. So this week is going to be the last week that we release the episode at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Next week, we're going to start releasing it somewhere between 7 and 8, as those seem to be the most requested times of the people who commented. We will post a specific time on social media before the next episode to let you know when to look out for it next week. Yep. For now, we're looking forward to seeing if Max will actually break Quincy's record, if Quincy will make sure that he doesn't, or if someone else will sweep in to start a new streak. In the meantime, let's just keep rolling into Chapter 13, Gryffindor vs. Ravenclaw, and the not-so-corresponding film scenes. Chapter 13, Gryffindor vs. Ravenclaw It looks like Ron and Hermione's friendship is over. Ron is so angry that Hermione never took Crookshank's attempt to eat Scabbers seriously, and Hermione maintains that Ron has no proof that Crookshanks actually ate Scabbers. Harry tries to point out to her that it seems pretty likely he did, but Hermione just snaps at him too and tells him to leave her alone because she has a lot of work to do. Ron is taking the loss of Scabbers extremely hard, and Fred and George are trying to cheer him up, with Fred saying he's been off colors for ages, and it's better that he was finished off in one snuff. George points out that all he did was eat and sleep. Harry does a much better job distracting him by persuading him to come to their Quidditch practice so he can try out the firebolt after they finish, and they head down to the pitch. Madame Hooch is still overseeing their practices and is just as impressed with the broom as everyone else. Oliver Wood gives them some final instructions for the next day's match, telling Harry he just found out the Ravenclaw's seeker is a fourth year by the name of Cho Chang. She's pretty good, but her Comet 260 is going to look like a joke next to Harry's Firebolt. He officially starts practice and Harry is thrilled to realize that the Firebolt is even better than he actually imagined, turning at the lightest touch, seeming to obey his thoughts rather than his grip. He has supreme control over speed, dives, and turns, and when Wood releases the snitch, he catches it within 10 seconds. The Gryffindor team has their best practice ever, and at the end of it, Wood doesn't have a single criticism to share. He asks if Harry has his Dementor issue sorted out, and Harry says yes, though he thinks about how he wishes his Patronus is stronger. Wood sends them back to the tower, but Harry stays to give Ron a go on the broom until Madame Hooch, who has fallen asleep in the stands, wakes up and tells them off for letting her sleep. She insists they head back to the castle. Along the way, Harry thinks he sees the Grimm and lights his wand, but it just turns out to be Crookshanks. The next morning, all of the boys from Harry's dormitory walk him down to breakfast as a sort of honor guard for the firebolt. Heads turn as they walk by, and the Slytherin team looks thunderstruck. People from Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff come by to take a look, and Percy's girlfriend, Penelope Clearwater, asks if she can actually hold it. Percy tells Penny no sabotage and mentions that they have a bet of 10 galleons on the outcome of the match. Draco then stops by to ask if Harry is sure he can manage that broom and says, shame that it doesn't come with a parachute in case he gets too near a Dementor. 
Harry tells Malfoy it's a pity he can't attach an extra arm to his so it can catch the snitch for him. Malfoy leaves as the Gryffindor team laughs. At quarter to eleven, they head to the changing rooms to get ready for the match. The weather is clear, and the only talk Wood gives them is to tell them that they know what to do. They head out to the pitch and meet the Ravenclaw team, dressed in blue. Their seeker, Cho Chang, is the only girl on the team, and despite Harry's nerves, he can't help noticing how pretty she is. Madam Hooch has the captain shake hands and blows her whistle to start the match. As usual, Lee Jordan is doing the commentary and talks so much about Harry's firebolt that McGonagall has to admonish him for not talking about the actual match. As the game goes on, it becomes clear that Cho Chang has decided to tail Harry and keeps cutting him off so he has to change direction. Katie Bell scores the first goal of the match and soon after, Harry notices the snitch. He dives towards it but loses sight of it when a bludger is hit towards him. The game continues and Gryffindor is in the lead, 80 points to zero. Ravenclaw manages to score three goals and Harry begins scanning for the snitch more frantically. He sees it again and accelerates after it but is once more cut off by Cho Chang. Wood tells Harry not to be a gentleman and knock her off the broom if he has to, but the snitch has already vanished. Harry realizes that Cho has decided to mark him rather than search for the snitch herself, so he pretends to see the snitch and dives. She follows him and he pulls out of the dive just in time to see the snitch for the third time. As he charges towards it, Cho screams and points down at the ground, where there are three Dementors looking up at him. Harry pulls out his wand and roars, Expecto Patronum! Something huge and white erupts from his wand and without stopping to watch, Harry continues to speed towards the snitch with his head still miraculously clear. He catches it and Gryffindor wins. As the team celebrates and the Gryffindors run onto the field, Lupin reaches Harry and tells him that was some Patronus. Harry excitedly tells him that they didn't affect him at all, and Lupin explains that's because they weren't actually Dementors. He leads Harry over to the edge of the pitch, where McGonagall is lecturing Malfoy, Crabbe, Goyle, and Marcus Flint for dressing up like Dementors to try and sabotage the Gryffindor Seeker. She gives them all detention and takes 50 points from Slytherin as Dumbledore approaches. This only makes Harry's victory sweeter as they all head back to the Gryffindor common room for a party, which goes on all day and well into the night. Fred and George disappear for a couple of hours and return with armfuls of butterbeer, pumpkin fizz, and several bags of Honeyduke sweets. Angelina Johnson wonders how they did that, and Fred mutters to Harry that it was with a little help from Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. Hermione is the only person that isn't celebrating. She went to the match but has too much work to do and knows that Ron doesn't want her around anyways. The party finally ends when McGonagall turns up in her dressing gown at one in the morning and insists they all go to bed. They trudge upstairs and Harry falls asleep almost instantly, having a very strange dream, walking along with his firebolt and following something silvery white. He reaches a clearing and is woken by a loud scream. Ron is screaming that Sirius Black was there with a knife and slashed his bed curtains. They scramble out of bed and back downstairs where other people are gathering because of the screams. Fred wonders if they are carrying on, and Percy comes hurrying out telling everyone to go back upstairs immediately. Ron tells him about Sirius Black, and Percy thinks he's just had a nightmare. Professor McGonagall returns and says that this is ridiculous and she expects better of Percy. Percy tells her that he didn't authorize this and that his brother had a nightmare. 
Ron bursts out that it wasn't a nightmare and again repeats that Sirius Black was standing over him with a knife. McGonagall wonders how he could have gotten through the portrait hole, and Ron tells her to ask Sir Cadogan. She asks him if he let a man enter, and Sir Cadogan says he certainly did. He had all the passwords, read them right off a slip of paper. A furious McGonagall steps back through the portrait hole and asks which abysmally foolish person wrote down this week's passwords and left them lying around. A trembling Neville Longbottom raises his hand in the air. The movie scene starts on the trio walking past the pendulum through the corridor leading out into the courtyard. Hermione says that it's a beautiful day, and Ron sarcastically agrees, saying, Unless you've been ripped to pieces. Harry asks what he is talking about, and Hermione announces that Ronald has lost his rat. Ron argues with her that he didn't lose his rat, her cat killed him, and Hermione says rubbish. They continue to walk through the courtyard, past the fountain, as Ron appeals to Harry, mentioning how that bloodthirsty beast is always lurking about, and Scabbers is gone. Hermione tells him that he should take better care of his pets. They exit the courtyard, and the camera focuses on Crookshanks, who jumps up on the wall and licks his chops as Ron insists that Hermione's cat did kill Scabbers, and she insists that he did not. So we've once again hit a chapter where the movie scene that we assigned to correspond with it is pretty much just shoehorned in. Granted, my movie section would have been longer if they didn't get cut happy with Sir Cadagan. And Quidditch. Mm-hmm. The main reason this didn't appear in the movie was because the movies all but did away with Quidditch. Yeah, the only Quidditch they did actually show was Harry's first match when they lost against Hufflepuff because a shit ton of flying-ass Dementors showed up and Harry fell off his broom. This was important to the main plot because it is the inciting incident that leads to Harry learning how to conjure a Patronus. Which is significantly important later on in the story. But yeah, Alfonso Curon did not seem to care much about the sports ball, and nearly this entire chapter was Quidditch. I mean, it is called Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw. Yeah, that definitely narrows down the subject matter. Mm-hmm. But before the chapter gets into the Quidditch match, it does start out talking about Ron and Hermione's friendship being on the rocks, because Ron is convinced that Hermione's cat, Crookshanks, ate his rat, Scabbers. And Hermione is insisting that he doesn't know that for sure. This is basically what the movie scene was, too, except the film structured it as an argument between them, rather than showing their friendship actually being on the rocks. Yeah, the book definitely has their friendship under much more strain. Movie Ron just seems annoyed with Hermione, not completely devastated like Book Ron. It wasn't as much of a thing in the movie. Hermione comments on it being a beautiful day, and Ron says, Unless you've been ripped to pieces. Harry wants to know what he's talking about, and Hermione says that Ronald's misplaced his rat. I get why they streamlined things, and this still gets the point across from the book that Scabbers is gone, but I have a hard time believing that this would be the first time Harry has heard anything about Scabbers being eaten. Mm-hmm. Bookron completely freaked out at the end of the last chapter when he thought Scabbers was eaten. Yeah, but I actually love Emma's delivery of the line about Ron losing Scabbers. Like, their arguments are just so old married couple. <laughs> mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Is she really gonna scold Ron about taking better care of his pet when her cat is legit just wandering the goddamn halls. Like, she makes no acknowledgement that Crookshanks is there, and therefore has entirely no idea where her fucking cat is at that moment. 
But she's going to lecture Ron on responsible pet ownership? Right? The hell? She just walks right past her cat, doing whatever he wants, going wherever he wants. But I do love that as they're arguing about whether or not Crookshanks actually ate Scabbers, the cat jumps up on the wall and licks his chops as they walk away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's great. So perfect. And even if the scene doesn't show the same rift in Ron and Hermione's relationship, it does set up the fact that Scabbers is gone, which really is the important part of the plot. Yeah, like we said, it did cover that detail fine. I just missed the greater dynamic between them with this argument. Hermione was really hurt that Ron stopped talking to her, and Ron was, like I said, devastated over the loss of his rat. Yeah, I really feel for Hermione here, actually. With both Harry and Ron giving her the silent treatment, especially considering how much Ron bitched about what a pathetic pet Scabbers was. Although I do understand that even though he was a crap pet, he was still Ron's crap pet. That's basically what Fred and George said to try and cheer Ron up in the book, which didn't really work. The only thing that distracted Ron was when Harry invited him to join them at Quidditch practice so he could test out the firebolt afterwards. Which... Obviously couldn't happen in the movie, since Harry never received the firebolt for Christmas, and Quidditch was all but eliminated from the film. There is actually an interview on the Blu-ray and bonus features with Alfonso Cuaron, where he's explaining that he was telling a coming-of-age story, and anything that didn't fit into that was cut from the film. So it makes sense that the Quidditch wasn't really included, if that was what he had in mind. I think it was a really interesting choice for the film, considering where it sits in the series. Since this is where the stories really start to get darker, it's almost like the series itself is coming of age. Mm. So it creates a very interesting parallel. Mm -hmm. I also think it definitely helped in creating a very dynamic film, and that seems to be why it's a lot of people's favorite. Though with everything that was cut out, it's also pretty understandable why some people aren't happy with it. Yeah, as a standalone story and with the cinematography, it's an extremely impressive film. Mm -hmm. When compared to the original book, there's quite a bit missing that is definitely missed. Yeah. Also in that interview, Rowling mentioned that Quran included things in the film that she hadn't written yet or even told him, but foreshadowed things to come. And they never specifically said what those things were, but I bet Lupin's whole comment about Lily's nature and ability to see the good within people was one of them. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. We'll keep this in mind as we continue through the story, but I'd also love to know what our keepers think could be included in this. So this should be a Potter pondering. That sounds good to me. But we're out of things that happened in the movie, so can I take a nap now? We have been over this. I am not talking to myself. Fine, I'll talk about the book with you. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Harry, Ron, and the Gryffindor Quidditch team head down to their practice with the Firebolt officially on the team. Madame Hooch is still overseeing their practices for Harry's safety, and she holds them up a bit, inspecting and admiring the broom herself. Because Hooch is crazy for that Firebolt. Hooch is crazy for that Firebolt. <laughs> But eventually they get practice started and everyone performs so well that Olive Herwood doesn't have any criticism for them, which is a first. Oliver Wood. That's what I said. Olive Herwood. <sighs> he dismisses them from practice early so they can get some rest before the match. But Ron and Harry stay behind so Ron can fly the broom. Madame Hooch has fallen asleep in the stands and they don't bother to wake her. 
It's a good thing they have her overseeing practice. Sirius Black won't dare try to attack Harry in fear that she might snore at him. <laughs> right? But she eventually wakes up when it gets dark out, and she tells them off for not waking her and makes them go inside. As they're heading in, Harry sees some glowing eyes and worries it's the Grim again. But when he lights his wand, they realize it's just Crookshanks. Because once again, Hermione, the responsible pet owner, is just letting her cat do whatever the fuck he wants. Yup. <laughs> the next morning before the match, all of the boys from Harry's dorm walk him, and by him I mean his firebolt, down to breakfast. The book describes it as a sort of honor guard. Oh, dear God. I swear, boys and their sports ball toys are so ridiculous. I mean, it's a firebolt. A real firebolt. And honestly, it's not just boys. Boys and girls from Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw come to look at it. Percy's girlfriend, Penelope Clearwater, even asks if she can hold it. He tells her no sabotage and informs Harry that they have a 10-gallion bet on the outcome of the match. Which was our trivia question. Sure was. Then Nazi von Douchebag II comes by to see if Harry is sure he can manage the broom, saying pity it doesn't come with a parachute in case he gets too near a Dementor. Harry's extra arm comeback is completely savage, though. Draco needs some ice for that burn. Yeah, pity you can't attach an extra arm to yours, then it can catch the snitch for you. <laughs> Bam! Significantly superior to training for the ballet, Potter, or Scarhead. Seriously. Come on, dude. And Malfoy has no response. Mm -hmm. He just walks away, probably to get some ice, while all of the <laughs> Gryffindors laugh at him. Then everyone starts to head out to the pitch, and the team heads to the changing rooms. The weather is clear, and Olive Herwood actually has nothing to say other than they know what to do. They head out to the pitch themselves and meet up with the Ravenclaw team, dressed in blue. Why does it need to be specified that the Ravenclaw team are dressed in blue? Like, what else would they wear? Magenta? Neon green? Like, no fuck? idea. Maybe if they specified bronze, then I could understand mentioning the color, since the movie's got that wrong. <gasps> what? But Madame Hooch has the captains shake hands, and Harry notices the Ravenclaw seeker and the only girl on their team. Yeah, despite his nerves, he can't help but notice just how pretty she is. He sees her and goes, Cho Chang! <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's another nickname that got started from playing the Hogwarts Battle deck building game. Every time I get Oliver Wood as an ally card, I say Oliver Wood, and every time the Cho Chang card comes up, it's Cho Chang! <laughs> of course course it is. Len just bought me the newest expansion pack for the game Charms and Potions and I'm so excited. Ooh. Jenny becomes a playable character. Nice. That's really awesome. That was a really fun game when we played it. Yeah, it's great. The new expansion looks tough though. Yeah. But anyways, the match starts and this is among my top favorite commentary moments with Lee Jordan. Honestly, I might enjoy sports ball more if they all came with the amazing commentary of Lee Jordan and the sass of McGonagall. I love the way he keeps advertising the firebolt and McGonagall has to keep telling him to get back on the match. Are you being paid to advertise the firebolt? It's so great. <laughs> 
though the match later in this book against Slytherin is my favorite. Mm -hmm. So we'll have to talk more about that one then. Gryffindor takes an early lead, and Harry is desperate to catch the snitch quickly for the win. He sees it a couple of times, but Cho Chang cuts him off before he can get to it each time. Olive Herwood tells him not to be a gentleman and to knock her off the broom if he has to. And you know Oliver Wood really means that, too. I don't think he'd care how injured she was if Gryffindor ends up winning. I mean, he didn't care if his own teammate fell from his broom as long as he caught the snitch first. What love would he have for an opposing teammate? So fanatical. Uh, I love it. Boys and their sports ball. <laughs> but Cho ends up deciding to just mark Harry rather than search for the snitch herself. And Harry decides to make her pay the price by performing a Ronsky feint before he even really knows what that is. He goes into a dive, she follows him, and then he pulls out of it sharply before she knows what's going on. Then he sees the snitch again and charges towards it. At this point, Cho screams and points down at three Dementors on the ground. Keywords on the ground. Yeah. Harry grabs his wand, bellows expecto patronum, but keeps after the snitch with his head surprisingly clear. He catches the snitch, Gryffindor wins, and while everyone is congratulating him, Lupin comes up and compliments him on his patronus. Harry is so pleased that the Dementors didn't affect him at all, and then Lupin has to burst his bubble, pointing out that they weren't actually Dementors. <laughs> Malfoy, Crab, Goyle, and Marcus Flint had dressed up as Dementors and were being lectured by McGonagall, who was giving them detention and taking away points from Slytherin. Obviously, this Dementor trick that Malfoy played only worked in the book because Dementors can't fucking fly. Yeah, that wouldn't have been nearly as convincing had they tried to replicate that in the movie. Also, since the movies put the Quidditch matches way higher off the ground than the books seem to describe. There is that too but fucking flying Dementors. Yes. Fucking flying Dementors. Uncool. But Harry does get to practice a little more on fake Dementors, and more in the heat of the moment than a classroom, so that's cool. Also, learning they weren't real didn't actually burst his bubble because after winning the match and seeing Malfoy get in trouble, he was pretty much on top of the world. Understandably so. But then the Gryffindors all head back to their common room to celebrate for the rest of the day and well into the night. Fred and George sneak off for a while and come back with a bunch of Honeyduke sweets. Do you think they left any money at all or are they just full on stealing bags of candy from the sweet shop? I always wonder that too. <laughs> I know they bend rules from time to time, but stealing is kind of a big deal. I feel like they would have to. Like, like they're not bad people. Yeah. They're not criminals. I mean, they yeah, they're they're jokesters and pranksters and shit, but they're not going to like straight up steal. I'd like to hope. I'm yeah, going I'm going Let's with... assume they left money. Yes. <laughs> the whole time everyone is celebrating, Hermione is off in the corner working on school stuff. Harry goes to see if she went to the match and try to get her to join them celebrating, but she's got too much work to do and says that Ron doesn't want her there anyways. Ron takes that moment to loudly make a comment about Scabbers just being eaten, and Hermione bursts into tears and heads up to her dorm. Yeah, that version of Hermione is nowhere near the movie. Right? She's all cheek and no bleak. <laughs> Do you like that? Yes. I like it, but I don't want to. 
Does that make sense? <laughs> it's probably going to be the title. <laughs> She's all cheek and no bleak. Harry asks Ron if he can't give her a break, but Ron's not ready to forgive her yet, since she's still just acting like Scabbers has gone on vacation or something. The party continues on until about one in the morning, when Professor McGonagall shows up in her dressing gown and insists they all go to bed. And if we've learned anything from the first book, it's that you don't argue with McGonagall when you've obviously just woken her up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They all head upstairs, and Harry falls asleep immediately. He's in the middle of a very strange dream when he's awoken by a loud scream. Everyone else in the dorm wakes up and asks what happened. Dean lights his lamp, and Ron is sitting up in his four-poster with his bed hangings torn, looking terrified. He tells them that Sirius Black was there with a knife. They all scramble out of bed and head back down to the common room. More people were coming out of their dorms because of the commotion, wondering what was going on. I love that in this moment, Fred thinks they're all getting up to go back to celebrate. Right. <laughs> and same with Percy, too, because like he shows up and is just angry and tries to send everyone back to bed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when Ron tells him about Sirius Black, he doesn't believe him, thinking that he just had too much to eat and must have had a nightmare. Then Professor McGonagall shows back up. And this time, she is pissed. She is geared up for another severe student smackdown at that point. Like you said, you don't get McGonagall out of bed. Mm -mm. She yells at Percy, who insists that he didn't authorize this, and tells her that Ron had a nightmare. Ron just yells over him that it wasn't a nightmare. He woke up and Sirius Black was standing over him with a knife. If there was anything that could sever a severe student smackdown, that was probably it. Seriously. And it did. <laughs> since McGonagall immediately switches gears and tells him that's ridiculous, wondering how Sirius Black could have gotten through the portrait hole. Ron tells her to ask him and points at the back of Sir Cadogan's picture. Now this scene could have been in the movie if they hadn't deleted it. The deleted scene starts right in on McGonagall saying that's preposterous, asking how Sirius Black could have gotten through the portrait. Instead of telling McGonagall to ask Sir Cadogan, Ron says he doesn't know. He was a bit busy dodging his knife. It reminds me of Sorcerer's Stone when Ron says, I was a bit preoccupied by its heads. Like, is that a bit that Ron does that I've never noticed? Did he do that in Chamber? I don't think so. But he totally could have been a bit preoccupied by its legs. True. Or its pincers. Yes. Pincers. That could have been a thing. It should have been a thing if it wasn't saying. But in the deleted scene, McGonagall does end up asking Sir Cadogan how Black could have gotten in. Actually, the fact that McGonagall was facing the proper way to see Sir Cadogan, but she essentially made Percy turn around to look for him, kind of makes me laugh in, like, a ridiculous way. Like, open your damn eyes, woman! It's also different because in the deleted scene, he's just hanging out in the portraits in the common room, and in the book, she has to open the portrait hole and step back out to talk to him. Though, logistically, the way the film had it was easier to shoot. Yeah. Plus, I love the way Sir Cadogan changes based on which picture he travels through. And the fact that he randomly knocks over all the chess pieces and shouts checkmate is both insanely <laughs> unnecessary and hilarious at the same time. Yeah, the movie did such a great job demonstrating just how mad Sir Cadogan was. Mm-hmm. It's a shame they never actually let him be more than a background character. Right? 
But in both, Sir Cadogan admits that he let a man in because he read all the passwords off of a piece of paper. And then in both, McGonagall wants to know which abysmally foolish person wrote the passwords down. Oh, poor Ickle Neville. It's not his fault the damn painting kept changing the password. That little guy has to feel miserable about losing those passwords and putting everyone in danger. Also, I would most likely be the Neville in this situation, so I feel personally attacked. <laughs> Why do I believe that about you? Because you know me. <laughs> but yeah, poor Neville. Why is it always him? Also, what the fuck, Sir Cadagan? Like, I'm pretty sure, password or not, you should have known better than to let crazy Gary Oldman into the Gryffindor common room. Seriously. And yes, I spelled that like serious black. Fuck, are you kidding me right now? Nope. God You're looking it. at it. That's what I did. I Yeah, I'm looking at it. I wish I wasn't. <laughs> but Professor Flitwick taught the front doors to recognize a picture of Sirius Black. You'd think a sentient portrait would know better. Right? But you know what the most disappointing thing of the whole deleted scene was? What's that? Yet again, we miss out on Percy's classic bedhead. You were right. That is a bummer. Mm-hmm. So amazing. It's excellent bedhead. It just is. Well done, Chris Rankin's hair. Gets his own credits. Yes. <laughs> Should. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Best supporting actor, Oscar. Right. Chris Rankin's hair. Damn. Anyway, that brings us to the end of our compare and contrast section. As there really wasn't much of a movie scene, there again aren't any actors. So this will instead bring us to our Potter pondering. What parts of the movie do you think were foreshadowed by Alfonso Cuaron that weren't yet written by jk rowling find the post on our facebook page and share your thoughts we look forward to reading them and this will bring us to our sorting hat story which is from Paige mcclure she writes i am a gryffindor i have a hazelwood wand with a unicorn hair core 11 inches and unbending flexibility my patronus is a siberian cat i was 11 my mom bought me the first four books for christmas i had not heard of harry potter I actually was upset at first, thinking, man, books for a gift? I wasn't much of a reader. My mom made me start the first one after I was annoying her one night, saying I was bored. I finally gave in, and I stayed up that entire night reading. I fell in love instantly. I was mesmerized and became so obsessed. My best friend received the books also for Christmas. Our parents schemed together. Good parents, gotta mm -hmm. say. We both raced to finish and read them over Christmas break and became huge Potterheads. We went to Barnes & Noble every year a new book came out after that and waited in line to get our copy. I have such wonderful memories growing up with Harry Potter in my life. We saw every movie on opening night together. I'm turning 31 in a few weeks and have read the books several times over the years and watched the movies all the time. Next year will be my 20th year of being a Potterhead. My mom gave me the books at the perfect time. I was 11, same age as the trio starting school, and I really connected to the characters. Even when the movies came out, I was the same age as them, so I feel like I literally grew up with the Harry Potter crew. Love HP. Lifelong fan. Right here. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Paige. <laughs> we also want to mention that this past Tuesday, which is actually today that we're recording this episode, is her birthday. So, happy birthday, Paige. Yay! Happy birthday! And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. 
Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. You can also just message us on social media. I took down the pinned post so that we can start pinning the Potter ponderings to the top each week instead so they don't get lost within all of our editor's phenomenal memes. That was some excellent alliteration right there, by the way. Thank you. Pinning the Potter ponderings to the top. Well, that'll bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, how do they persuade the fat lady to return to her job at the Gryffindor portrait hole? The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word, hashtag size does matter, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you're an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, you can write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you would like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We just posted our first cooking show episode where we made miniature butterbeer pies, so make sure you check it out. We also post our weekly podcast episodes, monthly blooper reels, vlogs, and other random videos. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 14, Snape's Grudge, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. Thank you.